Thank you so much, Jordan and India. Uh, it's just always a warm uh, welcome here at the Vineyard Church. I'm excited to be here, glad to be here, honored to be here. Um, you guys care if I just talk about your pastor for a few moments? Is that okay? He, he's, my, he's my buddy. He, he is a, a close friend, a confidant. Uh, it's good to have someone like him in ministry that I can bounce ideas off. And I'm amazed at how God is promoting him outside of this area. I mean, God is uh, raising him up as a national speaker about reconciliation and, and racial issues. So let's just give it up for uh, Pastor Gino. And I love how he stays connected to the broader vineyard movement. And um, so I feel like my claim to fame is that I'm the guy who preaches for him when he's traveling. So I'm thankful for that. But I'm also a part of a broader movement uh, called the Fellowship of Christian Assemblies. And it's just appropriate. I don't think Pastor Gino knows that I'm a part of the Fellowship of Christian Assemblies. Either way, we have a big event coming up in October with the FCA. So I get this email last week in the mail. Can you put that on the screen? F, I just want to read it for you. FCA, Midwest, Pastors, Wives, Staff Retreat, what you've been waiting on for the entire year, and who's the guest speaker? How is he the guest speaker in our movement? I don't understand it, but I'm just, uh, I'm just venting. Is that okay? All right. That being said, why don't uh, I'm going to try and follow up uh, last week uh, things that Jesus said. I listened to the sermon that Pastor Gino did. It was masterful. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and coding it in our fear. And so hopefully today uh, we'll join along in this series and, and find some stuff that we can glean. So if you're able to, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen so you can read along with us. John chapter 5, and that is in the NIV, starting in verse 1, it says this. My Bible titles it, The Healing at the Pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Look at someone and say, 38 years. 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else always goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. And he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? 
And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus into this world to to eradicate the hopelessness and the loss and sin and, the, and the, the separation we had from our Father. And we thank you that when he came into the world, the word made flesh spoke. Allow us to just dig deep and think through the words that Jesus has said to us. We bless you today. Speak to your people. Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. You know, I don't know about the Vineyard Church. Well, really, this happens at every church. But there are always people in the church that are churchmen. You probably have some churchmen here. Uh, They're they're the people that are at the Vineyard. Even though service starts at 1030, they're here at 9 o'clock, right? Opening the door. Somebody, he's laughing in the back. He's probably one of the churchmen. They are not. Oh, he's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, wrong one, wrong one. But they're here early. Whenever the doors are open, they are the people that are serving in the house of God. It's not too late for everyone here to be a churchman because some people come on Christmas. Some people just come on Easter. Come on, you know how the numbers are on Easter. Where, did, where are these people coming from? I don't know. But, but when you are a churchman, you, are, you want to be about the Father's business, right? You want to be in the house of God. I can't count on much, but those few individuals at Freedom that are churchmen, I know that they are going to be there come rain, shine, snow, sleep. It doesn't matter. They will be there on time. And if they don't come to church, what do they do? Thank you. See, we already know. They text the pa- pastor, I'm not going to be there. They text you like, la- like last Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm busy. I'm not going to make it there. These are churchmen. And, and, and Jesus, throughout the book of John, he's in a lot of different places. But whenever there is a meeting that concerns his father, he's always there. Whenever there's a festival, whenever there's something going on at the temple, he's always there. He was there. When the temple was open, Jesus was there. When there was a festival, Jesus was there. And in this passage, Jesus is making his trip to a festival. We don't know what festival it was. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us. There's some ideas around what it might, might have been. It could have been Pentecost or Passover, Tabernacles. We don't know. We just know that Jesus was there. And I want you to imagine Jerusalem and all of the pomp and circumstance in this moment and, and everything that's going on. And rather than go to the palace or go to the place where all the celebration is going on, Jesus finds himself in a place where there is the most need. He finds himself in a place where people are hurting and people are struggling. Now, I want to ask you a question today. If you were living 2,000 years ago in this moment, would you have rather been in the temple celebrating or would you have rather been by the sheep gate when Jesus walked by? How many people would have rather been at the temple having a party? Okay, so everyone in here is like, I would have wrapped. I'm blown away by the fact that God Almighty was incarnate in the person of Jesus walking around. I just wish that I could have been at, at, at John's baptism when he cries out, there is one amongst you who sand. Have you ever felt divinity walk by you? 
Oh, my goodness. I, I would have given anything to have seen him face to face. That would have just, it's just amazing. But we find out that Jesus is the type of God who always likes going to places where there is an unbelievable need, where people are really in a place of pain. Jesus, if he were here now, we'd probably find him a lot of times at hospitals. We'd probably find him at hospice places. He loves going to places where people have lost all hope because it's, it's in his DNA. It's part of his mission to save people who cannot save themselves. Can I get an amen? amen? See, we should take comfort in where we find Jesus in this text because this means that when we are at our lowest moments, when we are at our deepest, darkest moments, our give up moments, our moments where, where we just don't know how we're going to make it from today to tomorrow, emotional despair, family unrest, situations with our kids. Whenever we're in those low places, we become prime candidates for a visitation. We become those people. As long as we can save ourselves, how many people realize we don't need a savior? But sometimes when we get low, Jesus likes hanging out there. And John does not bring us to the temple or to this high-spirited crowd because he sees a place where there is human desperation and deep need and agonizing pain and frustration and broken hearts and broken dreams. And the Bible lets us know that Jesus is walking through there. I love that. I love that. And it says, there was one particular man in verse 5 who had been laying there for 38 years in his sickness. And when Jesus saw him sprawled out there and learned that he had been there for a long time, he says to him, would you like to be made well? Now, I want you to write that down. That's really the sentence I want to hone in on and unpack today. Would you like to be made well. Look at someone and tell them. Say, would you like to be made well? It's okay. You can talk to each other. That person is sitting right next to you. They, they were in. Would you like to be made well? I am uh, 39 years old. Stop. I stop with all the, oh, what? No way. Right. I, I know that's what you were thinking. This brother is like 24, 25. That's fine. But this individual has been sick one year less than I have been alive. 38 years. He has been in anguish for the duration of my entire life. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, which I don't recommend, I just found a good quote in it, he says this, he says, prisoners, 38 years. He was lame longer than most live. And then he says this, he says, many seem to be made in vain. Not for service, but for suffering. Born always to be dying. See, John isn't telling us 38 years as a fun fact. Oh, he's 38. That sounds great. John says, if you want to understand the text, you have to understand the length of this man's illness. You have to understand where his brain is at because duration adds gravity to our misery. 
The longer we're walking through something. It's the reason why people give up when they're fighting a battle, a life-threatening battle. They want to give up because the more time you're wrestling and the more you're fighting, the more weightier it becomes on your mind and your soul and your emotions and your body and the pain of it all, the depression, the loneliness, the sleepless nights, the emotions of not knowing if tonight I'm going to make it through the night. Jim Valvano, he talked about how he would go to sleep and he would have these nightmares of him dying from the camp. So you never know. And these are the realities of this individual's existence that we don't necessarily see right out front when we read this text. But John says, this is an invalid. In our day, we would call him a, a paraplegic someone who cannot move themselves. And John points this out, that here's an individual that cannot move himself, similar to the story that we read about in Luke 6, where the guy needed to be brought in on a mat, and then his buddies took him on top of the rooftop. And Lord, I mean, you all remember that story. It's a very similar illness, a paraplegic. You know, um, when I first came to Homewood about six years ago, I did a wedding in Minnesota, way up north, and after the wedding, I go to the reception, and I was placed at this table for the pastors. They always put us pastors at the same table because no one really wants to celebrate with the pastor at a wedding. That's fine. That's fine. I know you guys don't want to sit at Gino's table at a wedding. That's fine. You're waiting. Anyways, that's not in my notes. But I'm sitting there at this wedding, and across from me, they bring a young man in in a wheelchair. And they place him directly across from me. And I could tell that he suffered from some type of paralysis, but I begin to start a conversation with him uh, because watching him eat was such a process that I I just, I, I was just overwhelmed with the process of just eating in this young man's life. And so I asked him, like, well, tell me your story. You know, tell me your story. And he says, at 18 years of age, I was out working a job, and they worked at a baseball field. And we would just clean up the baseball field after the games. And he says, and my friend was out there with me. We were both cleaning up the field, and I, it was wet on the ground. And I ran up after my buddy, and I grabbed him by the shoulders, and my feet slipped And so I slid underneath his legs, and as I slid, he sat down on my head, and I lay down on the ground, and I looked up, and I said, oh, my God, I cannot move. Now, I'm talking to him 11 years later. Such such a mundane moment, changing the scope of this young man's life forever. And he started to tell me about his thoughts and the doubt and the suicide and how he didn't want to live and how somehow Christ lifted him up out of that place. And now he's here and he's struggling and figuring out this new way of being, but yet Christ pulled him out of that. What I'm trying to say is that this life, it's just it, we can't wrap our minds around what happens to a person's mind when, they're, when they go through something like that. 
We do have a, a Christian scholar named uh, Dr. Dwight Peterson, who himself was a paraplegic, and he gave a moving lecture from his wheelchair describing his condition. He said, problems of mobility and livelihood and social isolation just begin the list. He said, I want you to consider the problem of personal hygiene, and he began to explain it graphically. Paraplegic, we don't have bowel or bladder control oftentimes, and if you take these issues together, people would move him from place to place unless he crawled. And this man's income came from begging, please give me something, help me live today. And if he did have some type of bladder or or some type of problem controlling that, his hygiene problem would have been enormous at that time and people would have stayed away from him. Furthermore, whenever the water started stirring, there wasn't a single person, he says, that would help him into the water. He isn't like the guy from Luke 6 who had all these friends and all his buddies. Hey, hey, man, Jesus is in town. Get on this mat. We'll carry you. We'll lower you through the roof. This guy doesn't have anybody. He's not liked. So not only is he dealing with this physical sickness, but he's also dealing at some level with human cruelty, hopelessness, worry, 38 years of people jumping ahead of him, ignoring him, taking advantage of him, 38 years of desperation, 38 years of hopelessness, and I would suggest to you, Vineyard, that his soul is just as sick as his body. It's just as tragic as his body. And the Bible is trying to bring us to the lowest point they can in our human existence. It's trying to take us to a low place where there is no hope, because when you're in that place, that's the moment when Jesus decides to ask a question. The word made flesh, you know, the balm of Gilead, the alpha and the omega decides to ask this man a question. Would you like to be made well? I have a problem with the questions of Jesus. Good master, what must I do to be saved? Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. Are you calling me God? You know, Jesus is up. Peter, who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, you know, that wasn't you. That was my father who, who told you that. What's the truth? Who, 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 what is the truth? What is truth? Are you asking for yourself so that you can take this truth and transform your life? Or are you asking for someone else? Jesus is always doing, he's always saying stuff to mess people up. Oh, we got a big crowd today. All right, Vineyard, everyone, this is amazing. We're growing. God is doing it. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of this. I mean, imagine if I came here today and said that. All right, guys, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You guys, most of you all would be like, that's it. I'm not going to vineyard anymore. I'm done. I'm done. And I'm definitely not going to freedom because that's eating my flesh. What's going on here? This is the way Jesus is talking. He's always asking questions and making these outlandish statements. And it's just ridiculous. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? This reminds me of the question we ask our kids. Do you want a spanking? (laughs) My kid, this, till this day, 
None of them, not even my oldest daughter who's 12. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just too big. The spankings would be awkward. You got to hold them. I don't even know how you do that. But anyways, they, they've never said yes. Because I already know the answer. I'm, it's a rhetorical question. They never say yes, you know, but that'll be the day when my kid says, you know what? You're right, Dad. I am deserving of this spanking. And I know I really should have gotten two, but because of the severity of my crimes, I need four spankings today. I'm ready. Now, I, now oh, wait, I'm sorry. You know what? I realize this is a multicultural church, so not everybody understands that analogy. So let me say it a different, different way. Have you ever looked at your kid and said, do you want a timeout? A lot more people caught that one. I'm sorry. Okay, that's fine. And your child says, you know what? I will take that timeout. Instead of standing normal against the wall, I'm going to go down on my knees and do the plank the whole time during the timeout, okay? You're, you know what? No, they don't want a spanking. They don't want a timeout. They already know the answer to the question. And Jesus has a following. He was known as a healer. He had a reputation. He was a rabbi. And, and he was known for doing these miraculous deeds. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And all of us thinking about this man's condition think his response would be, yes. Of course, please help me, help me, please. Thank you, Jesus. That would have been my response. Yes, I want to be healed right now. Don't wait another second, Jesus. Let's go. That's not his response. He says, nobody helps me get into the pool. When the water starts stirring, someone always goes in front of me. Other people have kept me here. Other people are the reason I'm not going to. Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And he begins to blame all the people around him. Do you want to be healed? I can't get to the water when it's stirred. Do you want other people get in front of me? Do you want to be healed? Other stuff is going on, Jesus. Because some people, look, when Jesus walks into your life to bring you hope and bring you deliverance, when you've been a victim for so long, when you've developed this idea about yourself for so long, sometimes we can't get the healing that we need because we have allowed other people to create a state of hopelessness. We can't see the healing that is being offered by Jesus because there are too many conversations going on in your head. This person said this. This is what happened. Here's where I went wrong. This is what happened in college. Here's why I'm this way. Here's why I can't fully come to Jesus. Jesus didn't ask all of those questions. Jesus didn't ask him about the pool and how we're going to drag you to the pool. He didn't ask all those. He just asked a simple question. He said, do you want to be healed? And maybe, just maybe, that question isn't so shallow. It seems shallow at first glance, but maybe it's not that shallow. Let's just consider it for a moment. A man who's been crippled for 38 years, all of that time he had to rely upon the kindness of others to make his way in life. Do you have any change? Can you help me? Anyone? Anyone? 
if he were to get well, how would he be earning his way for the first time? Maybe the first time ever. He would no longer have an excuse for what his life was, would he? See, the responsibility would be his. And sometimes, and I know it's not this way at the vineyard because everyone here is a super Christian. But sometimes we don't want what God wants to bring because then we will have to take responsibility for our own lives. Because we find comfort in the status quo. That's part of the reason why we won't, we'll stay in a job that we hate. Because it's comfortable. Even though you're, Sunday night you're staying up till one in the morning trying to hang on to the weekend. But you won't venture out because it's just comfortable enough. We find comfort, folks, in keeping our status quo. So maybe the question, do you want to get well, wasn't crazy at all. Maybe it is a question that pierces at the very center of men's heart and exposes the motives that lay deep within us. How heavy is that thing that you're carrying? How heavy is it? I want you to consider the following. A psychologist walked around a room while teaching stress management to an audience. And as she raised a glass of water, everyone expected that, that she was going to ask the question, is this glass half empty or half full? Instead, with a smile on her face, she inquired, how heavy is this glass of water? How heavy is this glass of water? And answers called out from the crowd. Some said 8 ounces, some said 12 ounces, some said 20 ounces. And she replied, the absolute weight of the water does not matter. It just depends on how long I'm holding it. And if I hold it for a minute, it's not a problem. It's fine. If I hold it for an hour, my arm or my shoulder might start to ache. If I hold this water for a day, my arm will feel numb and paralyzed. In each case, the weight of the glass does not change. But the longer I hold it, the heavier it becomes. And then she continued the application and says, the stresses and worries in life are like that glass of water. If you think about them for a while, you know, nothing happens. But if you give them a day, a bit longer, it begins to hurt us. It begins to damage our minds. And if you think about them for a week or a month, all of a sudden, do you understand that those stresses and worries can begin to paralyze your life? There are people today that are holding on to issues. Some of us have been holding on to issues for 38 years can't get free from that thing that's happened to you when you were a child. 38 years and you're holding on to it and you don't realize that you're paralyzed because of it. Your vision of your life is paralyzed. Your leadership ability is paralyzed. Your success is paralyzed. Your gifting is paralyzed. Your hope is paralyzed, and Jesus comes along, and what does he say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and I, you will find rest for your soul. But like the paralyzed man, 
we love to hold on to the things that paralyze us. Could it be that Jesus is asking us the same question? Do you want to get well? Do you want Jesus to heal the parts of your life where you've been damaged? Or or is it just easier holding on to the hurt? My life isn't my fault. You don't know others are to blame. Jesus, do you want to get well? You don't know what so-and-so did. You don't know how I did this and that. That relate. We have these issues. Do you want to get well? To the, cripple, to the one that is crippled by their past hurts, Jesus asks you, do you want to be healed? To the one that is chained in private by our secret sin, Jesus says, do you want to be set free? To the one that's battling addiction, Jesus says, do you want to overcome? To the one who has not asked him in Jesus' name, save me, Jesus says, do you want to be saved? We all need his healing touch, don't we? In every part of your life, is there any part of your life where Jesus is asking you the question, do you want to be healed? But to receive that healing, we must desire change in our lives. We have to say, Lord, I am ready to put that past behind me. I don't want to walk another day with the baggage that I've been carrying on such and such or this and that. I don't want to be paralyzed anymore. And when Jesus says this, he says, do you want to get well? He says, I don't have anyone to put me in. You're standing before God Almighty who offers healing, and he says, I don't have anyone to put me in. Listen, church, and I want you to hear this point. He already had the solution to his healing in mind. He already knew how his victory was going to come. How many people here understand that God's ways are not our ways? And his thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher. This guy not only knew his excuses, he knew the solution to his problem. See, some, some people you can't talk to because they already know how to fix it. All right. You know what? I realize no one's talking to me today. Bill, that, that's one of our associates. Bill, I expected one amen from you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we, he already had the solution in mind. Do you want to get well? What's, what's your solution? What's your solution? Do you want to be loosed? Yeah, I do, but I have already got this figured out. You want to overcome that addiction? Yeah, but you don't understand what I went through earlier. This is the reason why I need this, just to cope with life and to figure things out. You know, Jesus, I understand that one day I'll, I'll come to that, but I'm not ready right now. Do you want to be saved? Well, Jesus, I'm not nearly as bad as the people around me. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of universalism that I could slide into or whatever. You know, we always have an excuse. And what I love about the Father, what I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't even address his excuse. He doesn't say, oh, well, let's plan out how we're going to put. No, he doesn't. Jesus, rather than listening to his excuse, he gives the man an impossible instruction. And I'm going to close with some of these thoughts. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. He didn't even entertain the nonsensical excuse. Just get up, pick up your mat 
and walk. And and Jesus, he comes to us in the same way today. This is how he comes to us. He doesn't come with sympathy that, oh, man, that's that's so sad. Oh, this is what happened. I understand. Oh, wow, that's what happened. Poor you. You can never get to the poor you. No, he said, it's just life and vitality. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Go, go. I like to call this the gospel of Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Just move. Just get up. Go. And the guy picks up his mat. It's so arbitrary. He just gets up his mat and Jesus just slivers off. And the guy's like, who, who did it? I don't know. He just, he just got... His whole life is changed, just following this crazy command. And it takes, church, it takes more strength and courage to follow the impossible commands of Jesus, doesn't it? And leave the hurt behind and walk above the level of our sins and accept the salvation that he's offering to all of us. Are you paralyzed today? Have the weights of this life paralyzed your life and your gifting and your calling and who God is, has created you to be in the world? Well, Jesus, his command is the same then as it is today. He challenges you today to get up and walk. Get up and walk. Will you today? I'm going to have the worship team come forward. And after worship, if you've been a part of this church at Vineyard, there's going to be a time of prayer where if some of these thoughts, as we're lifting our hands and worshiping our Savior, some of these thoughts may resonate in your heart. And maybe you've been dealing with some type of past thing, something that you've come here to get today to just have coffee, hear a good message and worship, but maybe the Lord, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today about something that has been paralyzing your life, whether something someone said, a situation you're in, a work situation, a marriage situation. I don't know what it is, but in a church this size, there are multiple things that could be going on in your life. And today I challenge you that if you feel the Lord is dealing with you at our time of prayer, come up and pray. And there are people that will pray with you. And we just want to release those things that we have been holding on to in our lives and get up and walk. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.